With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 14, an interview with Javier. We also had a bonus episode where Bob explained the West Memphis ruling. So for those that don't know, Bob and I took a quick trip down to Memphis for some a court hearing. We're going to dive into that. Also, a lot of listener questions this week. I'm joined with Bob and Janet via Zoom. And right after this break, we're going to dive into all of it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alrighty, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, uh, real quick before we get into uh, all of your questions, um, I think I pretty well broke down. If you haven't heard it already, earlier this week on Tuesday, I put out a bonus episode that was supposed to be me just real quick uh, giving a 10-minute talk about what happened in West Memphis. It turned into almost an hour, which generally happens anytime I'm speaking. Um, so there's a real detailed um conversation there about what happened uh in west memphis the uh, one thing we didn't touch on real quick is um well first of all you haven't heard zach's thoughts on it and there was you know th- there were some hijinks on the trip uh like at one point we 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 tried to go to iowa we got lost <laughs> on the way home um but uh that's neither here nor there uh but actually <laughs> so we, we'll talk about some of that stuff on the patreon feed but um uh, Zach, you, you haven't had a chance to weigh in on your thoughts on this, the trip in general. You know, I, I mean, you broke it down really well in the bonus episode, but what a, what a weird roller coaster it was. You know, we, we went in really high Wednesday, had a wonderful dinner with Damien and Lori. I mean, just talked about everything, talked about the case. And then that, that, uh, that crushing hearing that we had Thursday morning. I mean, it was, it was devastating. I mean, it really took us all down. I mean, we were, there was tears everywhere. I mean, it was, it was hard to deal with, um, to be a hundred percent honest. And, and I can't believe what the judicial system was doing to us. I mean, I said it in the Patreon before this, but I'll say it again. Like you never really know what you see in a documentary because of editing and how things can be put together. But to experience what they were doing to us firsthand is unreal. The, the links they were going to make that day miserable 
for not only us, but the supporters. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable what West Memphis was doing to us. I, uh, it was a hard day, you know? And then as we talked again, you know, as that day went on, we had a, we had a little lunch with everybody that was, again, there was tears. We were all shedding tears together. And and then by the end of that lunch, something changed, something changed in all of us. And really, I think that spark was with Damien and Bob alluded to it in the episode. I mean, Damien has changed over the course of these three days that we spent together. You can watch him be excited. You can watch him want to deal with this. You know, Bob alluded to a conversation that we had on the way home and that I got to be privy to. We were on speakerphone. Damien knows we were on speakerphone, knows I was there. So it's, you know, I'm not talking out of pocket here. But Bob said one thing, or Bob didn't say one thing in the episode that I wish he would have said. And that is when Damien said he was excited to fight this, he said one thing after that that struck me so hard. And he said, this process no longer feels traumatic. And that floored me. My, I mean, absolutely i had tears immediately as soon as he said that that was such a powerful moment to to not ex- not only experience but to hear damien say it knowing what he's gone through i mean just it it i mean it was left me speechless i i don't know what to say bob and i drove for another 40 minutes after that without saying a word with no radio no music nothing um yeah i mean that's i'm still left speechless by everything that's that's occurring right now yeah so you know when i when i met damien five years ago he said something to me that i just took you know it was a great great line for a podcast he said you don't understand because i'm laying out in front of him you know this is the plan and this is what we're going to do and hopefully we'll get you know what we're going to try to find some some testing methods so on and so forth and he just told he looked me in the eyes and said you don't understand these people you have to fight for every inch of ground that you get with them. Every inch is a fight. And I realized on last Thursday exactly how true that is. I mean, I was I was I was stunned. I shouldn't have been, but I was stunned at what they did. Um and as I mentioned in the episode and I told Damien in that conversation that Zach's talking about, I said I feel terrible. I said you were you know, you were you were trying to move on with your life, and I came in and drug you back into this, mm. forced you into hope to think something finally might happen, and you finally might get to clear your name, just to have the rug yanked out from underneath you again. Because that was the thing: is the emotions that went with this. There's there was always a possibility we'd lose this hearing. We, the ruling doesn't go our way, but the way that it was, the, the way that they they tricked us into believing that they were going to hear our arguments and we're going to genuinely consider what we were doing and then just yanking the rug out from underneath us. It, it adds a different layer to that because all of a sudden now you've lost, which is upsetting, but you also feel stupid. I can only speak for myself, but I just felt like an idiot. Like how did I not see this coming that they were doing this to us? And and it's, it's, it's emotionally pretty taxing. And, and Damien, when he, when he said that, you know, Patrick Banker came into that lunch, was explaining what's next. And he's like, you know, you know, and he explained, he said, well, the thing is now the, these weren't his words, but this is what I took out of it. That judge just boxed us into a corner where our only way, 
our only path to victory now is through a path that leads to tearing the fucking system down. Like they, they it, I believe we will ultimately be victorious in this. And it's going to be more than Damian, Jason, and Jesse getting the evidence tested and clearing their names, solving this case, putting the person in prison that actually did this. Because of the position she put us in, the only path to victory is to tear the whole system down, to rewrite the law, to, to set legal precedent through the court of appeals, through the Supreme Court as we move forward. And what's amazing about Damien is after all these years, that is what lit a fire under him. It wasn't never about, you know, he, he's, he's wanted to clear his name. He's, he's fought for this. He's the only one fighting for this. You know, I get so sick of seeing the bullshit from these nons. You know, there's, this was a PR stunt or whatever. Like, who would put them? Give me a fucking break. He's the one that is pushing and fighting all the while just being traumatized every step of the way and reliving and going back into more courtrooms. But when he realized that our success will now equal success for every wrongfully convicted person in the state of Arkansas, that has lit a fire under Damien. Ooh, it's got, it's got me a little bit right now. Um, it's incredible. And, and he is, I've, I've spoken with him more times in the last 36, 72 hours than I have in the last two years, I think. I mean, he is fired up. He is ready to go. We are organizing plans. I've had tons of people reach out to me, tons of people, like all of you listeners, that are ready to contribute and help in any possible way they can, uh, which, which is absolutely amazing. There's some big money and some big pockets that have said, hey, we're in whatever it takes. Let's do this. Some very influential people are 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 coming to bat now to, to on our side. So so we, we've got. I'm not going to sugarcoat it to you. We've got a tough row ahead of us, uh, a tough row to hoe, and it's going to be. This isn't going to be weeks. It's not going to be months. It's going to be years to get this done. But we have the resolve to keep pushing forward, and and I believe that we will ultimately be victorious. And and what I'll say to you is, I see. Online, I alluded to a little bit in the episode that the non-crowd is, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm done. I'm done. What a bunch of pieces of shit to come out. <laughs> sorry, Janet. He said he wasn't going to sugarcoat it, everybody. Yeah. But to come out the way they've come out, to sit there quietly, first of all, fighting and fighting and fighting and making every argument possible why we shouldn't be testing this DNA. And then when we finally th – this happens to us and the judge yanks the rug out from underneath us to now they're all over the place like, yeah, they fucking child kill you. Go fuck yourselves, all of you. And I'm telling you guys, it's not even worth engaging with these, with these low IQ, worthless human beings. And you can, you can write that down and clip it and talk about how mean I am, but you can go fuck yourself. That you're this excited about the fact that we can't find the truth, that we can't test the evidence that will prove what happened. Even if you were right, you're so goddamn scared of finding out the truth that now you're excited and you're bragging about it and you're just poking and prodding everywhere you possibly can because you won 
You won what? You won you won hiding from the truth. That's what you won. You won no justice for anyone. That's what you won. So what I want to tell all of you listening is because the thing is I get tagged into these Twitter things all the time, these big arguments, and I see them going back and forth. You're wasting your breath with these wastes of space. If that's the way they want to live their life is to is is to just continue harping on that listen. You guys have seen the evidence. You've seen years of breakdown of every piece of that case file. It's all available. We've had every expert, and through the years, every expert that's come into this case, it's it's it completely obvious that these guys are innocent. There's nothing to it. They, they, can, they can talk about Jesse's five confessions, seven confessions, a thousand confessions. He's never once got it right. He's never once said anything that matched the fucking evidence at all. The case is ridiculous, and there's a mountain of evidence pointing in another direction, a mountain of it. So to, 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 to not even, even be a little bit ambiguous, but to be so certain these guys did it, it's not worth your time. It's not worth my time. We need to, to put our eyes on the prize, keep moving forward, keep pressing, stay positive. I promise this will be the last time I go off on those assholes because I'm done giving them my energy. As my friend Sean T said the, the, today on Instagram was the best quote, one of the best quotes I've ever heard. I'm done meeting asshole people in asshole places. And Sean, if you're listening, make that a t-shirt. I want two of them. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And we're going to now move on before I, I make this worse, I guess. No, you're not making it worse. And I just want to say, I think I'm seeing so much of this in the chat. And I know that so many people who are listening to this right now feel the way that I do, which is thank you so much for your transparency and your honesty in taking us on this journey, because this is what we need to see. We need to see that despite the years of working on this case and so many other cases that are hard, that are not we're moving quickly, the Sandys and the Jessies and all of the people who aren't Ed, who didn't get out of prison, which, by the way, he was still done a horrible, horrible wrong. The fact that you put the time and effort into caring this deeply and to to let us see that you feel things you are not. You don't have a thick skin to where you're like, eh, another day, another disappointment, whatever. Let's move on. The fact that you allow us to see the up and the crash and the determination and the anger and the relief and all of that. That's what keeps us coming back is knowing that this is real. You're real people. Zach, you are having real emotions about what you're hearing Damien say over the on speakerphone. That is the stuff that also helps us move through our days with our small pieces. And that's one of the reasons that so many of us are drawn to this podcast and to the work that you're doing is because It helps us realize that our shit isn't that big of a deal, and it also gives us the tools to handle our little things while we also feel like we're a part of something bigger and more important. So thank you for taking us on this journey, and please don't ever stop being honest about how hard something is because it just riles people up more and gives you more support and shows people that you're just you're a human being and that if you're a human being and we're all human beings, we can all do this. So that's my diatribe. Let's move on. And <laughs> I guess I had I've, to squeeze my yeah. angle into this, but <laughs> yeah. that is how I feel. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate both of you guys. And, and everybody, uh, the, the the chat's going crazy right now, and I know everybody hears this episode. I, I know that the, the true believers in truth and justice, not the show, but the concept, 
uh, are ready are ready for this fight. And with that, we'll 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 leave it there and move on to Great. these questions that you have. So let's start with Matt, who very simply asks. What happens next? What happens next with West Memphis Free? I think you've done a really great job of talking about the direction in the episode, the special episode that you did. You've just told us to sort of stay connected and stay invested. Um, anything that you need from us right now? Yeah. So right now what we need, um, we need connections. So we're very serious about getting with the Arkansas legislators and working on changing this law. Um, and by changing the law, well, all I mean is the the habeas statute leaves room for interpretation. You know, it doesn't it doesn't say, to my knowledge, doesn't doesn't say you must be in prison in order to file for habeas. The judge has interpreted habeas means the body. The body's not in prison, and therefore, since you're not in our custody, you can't file for habeas. As I mentioned on the show, there's been you know hundreds of cases in other places where this has been done. Um, Arkansas, however, has never made a mistake and has never had a, a wrongful conviction overturned uh, based on actual innocence in its history. It's because of the way that the laws are, are open for interpretation. So all we need is to just add a couple of words to that statute that says you know, you're entitled to habeas and it, just to say whether you're still in custody or not. That's it. We just need yeah. it to be very clear that – you walking out of prison, and a few people have mentioned, well, shit, if this had happened last year when they were still on probation, then the, then we could have got the habeas. Maybe that's why they delayed. Accor- yeah, they would have found again, something else. Sorry. Yeah, I just. Well, well, I wasn't in the courtroom, so I, I'm, I'm, this is all secondhand for me because we haven't got transcripts yet. But from what I was told, she was very clear that is not the case. That she said, it doesn't matter if you're on parole, probation, any of that. Doesn't matter, even though you're still under the authority of the state. If your body is not in the prison, then you do not get to file for habeas, which is a whole other thing is the fact that, as I mentioned, the DNA testing law is independent. It says these are the requirements to do DNA testing. But because it's in that section, it's it's it, it, in the subchapter for habeas, the judge has interpreted that, well, then that means you have to qualify for habeas in order to qualify for this. And again, she's you know when when Banka argued from what he told me that we didn't file for habeas. We only want testing. And she said, well, if you get a if you get a positive outcome, then you're going to want habeas. So we're right back where we started. But that's what we need. So so if anybody listening and share this stuff, share this episode, share you know whatever. I'll, maybe I'll try to clip things and put them so they're easier to share little pieces. But we need connections. To Arkansas legislators, and, and 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 what I mean by that is just that, you know, if I just write a write a letter to the you know a legislator in Arkansas, the 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 odds of it getting read and something done about it, or so we just need somebody that maybe can get us a meeting, so that we can start the process, find someone to sponsor the bill, and start working from there. It's a long process, but but we need connections in that way. I know we're talking about doing some amicus briefs, which are, you know, like friend of the court type supporting um, uh, briefs that are written in. Um, so Colin you know, Miller, you, I tell you right now, Colin Miller's going to cough up one of those amicus briefs super quick. Yeah, Colin Miller's one. I And you know, I want to talk to Colin about all of this, too. Uh, I, I want to reach out to Kathleen Zellner and see if she could maybe do, do an amicus. Uh, so all of that's down the road. But for right now, 
what we need. Now, there's going to come a time. Listen, we're going to need we're, we're going to need money down the road. Thank God. I mean, Patrick Banka has been working for free, so we don't have legal expenses as of now. Um, but there's going to be experts, or we don't know. There, there was. There's going to come a time we're going to need money. I and people keep I, and I love you all so much because so many people are like, where do I donate? Where do I donate? Where do I donate? I'm not doing that yet because I don't like holding on to other people's money. Um, right. It's just like this T-shirt thing. I got it. I just sent the bill off to the expert witness today. I said, so that's paid. And then the, the extra money I have set aside, and it already makes me uncomfortable because I'm holding money that belongs to someone else. So we'll wait until we need the money to raise the money because I know that you guys can do it super quickly. Um, but if you have any connections with anyone who maybe has a connection with any Arkansas legislators, get in touch with me. That's a good start. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, great. Well, listen, we already have some activity, a buzz in the chat, including Tiffany, who's a resident in Arkansas. So it's happening. Asking you shall receive. We're, we'll keep digging into that. Um, Rena, real quick, has asked in the chat. This is so we start with Arkansas. Um, this is not a federal situation yet. I just want to address that. Right. It won't be unless it goes through the Arkansas court system and it appeals up to uh, the the federal Supreme Court if we get if we get that high. And I just read what Tiffany wrote. Um, Tiffany, reach out through a contact form. Put something in the title that you know you have somebody that can sponsor the bill. Um, make sure that we get in touch in, with touch with you because she says she knows somebody that can help. Uh, thank you. Great. Okay. Uh, this is all kind of part and parcel to what we've been talking about. Tiffany N. says um, she understands that Damien's attorney is working on an appeal. The law needs to change, which we've been talking about. Um, would a petition help in this context or is that something that may come at a later time? It may come at a later time. To be honest with you, in my in my experiences, petitions make us feel better and don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, and, and I, sh- I shouldn't say that because I know there's, there's many instances where they have helped, um, but they can ignore a petition just like they can ignore one person. So if we get to a point where a petition will be helpful, then certainly we will start that petition. But, it's, but what we're trying to do is, is move slowly and carefully and make every step count. So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We don't want to do a petition right now that says change the law when we don't know what that looks like. We want to get to a point where maybe we've got somebody that will sponsor a bill. We know what the exact language is. Then we want to to transmit a petition out to the right people to show the support for that bill. Another thing is that I forgot to mention is we need to start doing some research into political candidates. So the judge that just issued this ruling, 
is up for re-election this year. She even mentioned that it was an election year in her mm. diatribe that she gave from the bench. We need to we need to look into who's running against her. Cressman is not he's not up for re-election because he was appointed. He can't run, so there's going to be a DA's race, and I think that. We need to find what, what DA candidates are running, what their stance is on this, and we need, and that may be another time where money may come in. Like we, if we can help make campaign donations to help put up billboards to support a candidate that's going to be fair and honest and seek truth and justice, that's something that I think we we need to consider consider doing. Uh, because again, all of this could could be solved with an honest prosecutor that's seeking truth and justice. Yeah. That's all we need is a joint motion from a prosecutor. I think you really touched on something there, and I think that's huge, is is finding out the DAs that are running and who we can elect and who who we know is going to be there. And we need the Arkansas residents to look into this as well. I mean, we can look into it, but we right. can't do much. We have to have the Arkansas residents push this for us. Because we can right. only say so much from the outside. We can't make change from the inside. And that's a big deal, is we need to make sure... That not only are we finding these candidates, we're pushing it to the Arkansas residents. Right. And getting boots on the ground and campaigning. And I'm talking about billboards. I'm talking about, you know, walking the streets with campaign signs, talking like like to, to build an entire. And so, you know, there's so many of you for so many years have been like, I'm waiting for my chance to help. This could be it. There'll be a way for you to help through this. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Sarah mentions uh, kind of echoing what you said in your episode, which was this was very expensive. This was an expensive prank. It feels like a real Uh ha-ha gotcha, like school bully move on behalf of the judge or the court and whoever else is responsible for this. If it's just her, it's just her. and uh, and and just to kind of sum up the the expense and and could the state of Arkansas really be ready for what comes next? Sarah asks. Um, also, just want to say really quickly. I know we're saying this already, but like, I, there's nothing more satisfying than someone saying, "If you don't like the law, I guess you have to change it." And that group of people saying, "Huh? You know what? Thank you. We will." Great idea. It's yes. awesome. I feel like this is not the first time amazing change has come out of someone being like, I guess you have to remember. And everyone's like, oh, you know what? Thank you so much. We actually will. And say goodbye to your job. <laughs> like, that's yeah. very satisfying. Uh, Megan says, in one podcast, I heard you say you think you know what happened. Can you say, uh, with Mem- West Memphis 3, can you say what your theory is and who you think it is without getting into trouble? I'm not going to get in any trouble. I... I don't know who did this. I think we need to test this evidence and find out who did this. That being said, I, I'm not going to, and I don't even know if I've even ever said this publicly before. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think that Terry Hobbs is definitely should be considered a person of interest. In my opinion, there's, we've talked about a lot of this stuff. You know, you, you've got the fact that, you have a hair that that is it's been attributed to him to be fair because of the type of DNA testing that was done. Um, he just can't be excluded, but neither can you know a handful of other people in West Memphis can't be excluded because it was mitochondrial DNA. That was that was explained away by the prosecution as transfer, but what's never really been discussed, you know, because Michael Moore had been in the Hobbs house that all three boys at one point or another had been in the house. So they could have picked up the hair. But think about that for a minute. They're, the killer, 
So wherever that hair's at, think about a hair somewhere on a shoelace. The killer untied their shoes and then pulled the laces through all the eyelets of the shoes to get them out of the shoes. So think about, you know, now that hair has to stay connected somehow to that shoe after hours of riding bikes around and playing and everything else they did. Uh, still was hanging on there, still hangs on through that. And then the knots get retied in a different place on the lace and the hair ends up in the middle of that knot or hanging, you know, tied up into that knot. It's, it, it's, it, it seems unlikely, but again, to be fair with that, we, we also don't know that that was Terry's hair to be, to be very crystal clear about that. It's, it's a hair that he can't be excluded from. But the behavioral things, you know, you know that 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 have been discussed. That you know, Jim Clemente mentioned in, in the TV show that, um, you know, why does he go to Catfish Island? Why does he wait to call the police? Why is he lying about the buyers or uh, the Moors talking to the Moors and having them call the police when they say that never happened? You know, John Mark Byers, Dana Moore, they all say that he was never there. He lied about it. Why is he waiting? And then why does he have the police meet him there, the Catfish Island instead of home? These are issues. Something that when Zach and I drove out to the crime scene. I'd never really occurred to me, and I had never really articulated it before, but from what we hear from David Jacoby, that that night they went out, you know, around the 7.30 hour, and with David's with some of Ryan Clark's friends, and he finds the bicycle tracks, and then he follows the bicycle tracks through Robin Hood Woods all the way to the pipe bridge, and then the tracks stop, and he sees the muddy set of prints on the pipe. It's the water's rushing too high, seems too dangerous to cross the pipe. He comes up and he, Terry's up there and he tells Terry, we need to drive around to the other side to get to those woods and search in there. What had never occurred to me before this week, or never really broke it down, was, so Terry is, Terry is supposed to be looking for his stepson. He's told then at that point, 730 or so, that the, there's bike tracks that lead to the pipe, and a muddy set of footprints on the pipe leading to those woods, we need to get to those woods. Terry then drops David off at his house to change clothes and then never comes back. David's waiting and waiting and waiting. Terry never comes back. Two hours pass, approximately, hour and a half, two hours. Terry never goes across the pipe to look. Nobody knows where he was at during this time. Never goes to look over in those woods. Finally, he picks Pam up at work. Doesn't tell Pam there were tracks leading to the pipe. Doesn't tell Pam we should search in those woods. Calls the police. Doesn't tell the police there were tracks leading to the pipe or that they need to check in those woods over there. Then he takes Pam home, drops her off, and leaves her at home and disappears for another two hours. Nobody knows where he was at during that time, supposedly out searching with people. Although at that point, he had met John Mark Byers. He had come across other people that were searching. Doesn't mention to any of them that there were bike tracks leading to the pipe and there were muddy tracks going across the pipe. Finally, at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, Pam walks over to David Jacoby's house and is screaming in his front yard because Terry left her home and she wanted to get out and search. David puts her in the car. Drives up. They finally find Terry. Now it's been three, four, maybe five hours 
since David told him about the tracks going to the pipe? And David asked him, did you go check the woods across for the pipe? No, he hadn't. So then David insists, we need to drive around to the Blue Beacon and check those woods over there. Now, that you can say whatever you want, and I'm going to leave. I, I'm not even going to give you my interpretation of that because I'll let you do your own. But the stepdad that was supposedly looking for his stepchild so desperately had the biggest clue of all fucking clues in the world about where the kid was. And for four hours, he didn't go look over there. He avoided looking over there with David Jacoby by dropping at his house saying he'll be right back and never picking him up. He never told his wife about it, never told the police about it, never told anyone about it or checked over there until David came back into the picture and forced the issue where David, Pam, Terry, and Pam's dad went over and looked. So when you add all that up, in my opinion, there's a pretty good suspect there. That being said, I think that, you know, we have to test DNA evidence. That's why we need to test the evidence to prove either that Terry Hobbs was involved or to clear him. It's that simple. That's why we want to test the evidence. Great. Uh, the second half of Megan's question is, how do you like the show Stranger Things? Not sure if you want to dip into that right now, but it's a little bit of a palate cleanser. So I'm, any thoughts I'm, on Stranger Things? And that goes for you too, Zach. Uh, I'm enjoying it and uh, uh, looking forward to the day this drops. The next uh, the next batch of episodes comes out. So, Ooh, uh, it's today? Oh, I got to be honest. Well, I've been, I, I went all the, oh, the, the day being Friday. Great. It'll be today, got, got, Friday. Got it, got yeah. It. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I want to quickly... Oh, you know what? It's a it's kind of a lot of fun. Um, and I say that as a person who was like, nah, I'm not going to like this from the very beginning of season one. Uh, and then was like, oh, no, this is really good. Uh, Jason. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Joshua. Sorry, Joshua. I want to it's I'm going way back in the in the scrolling back in the chat. Um, do you have any intel on a, on a tweet by Jason Baldwin saying that he wishes he was contacted about this? Do you know anything about that? There will all I can say is there was uh, a couple of tweets Jason made one evening, and the next we, we saw him the next day. I hugged him, and you know, and then the next day, those he had deleted those tweets and was tweeting about how in support that he was with everything. I mean, Jason, okay. we all saw on I mean, he was live on my TV show. Jason be explained what the MVAC was, and for him to tell us to move forward and do it. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, but I know that a little bit of cross signals there that sounds like it was resolved. Sounds to me like he had a bad night and then kind of changed his mind the next day. Gotcha. I can have a lot of sympathy for anybody who went through what he did. Um, okay, great. Uh, let's jump into Sandy. Couple questions in the chat. Rest assured, friends in the chat, that this was uh, baked into this episode. Uh, Valeria says, uh, first of all, hope Charlie One Niner didn't hit you too badly. And is there a chance of having a catch up with Liz about next steps for Sandy? Her petition for discretionary review was denied last week. I hope I used the right terms there, Valeria says. And what happens now? Um, First of all, as far as so for those of you that don't follow on social media or haven't caught on to this, um, I did 
come home from Memphis with uh, from West Memphis with COVID, um, and it's been not too bad. I mean, I've been I've I'm still I'm struggling with my voice and feel like I have bad sinus infection. Lost my sense of taste with taste, which is pretty rough on a fat kid. If I'm going to be honest, um, so are you listening to tense- Nickelback now? <laughs> the the I, I the I think I tweeted yesterday that the, the tenth circle of hell is to have a a sweet tooth craving and no sense of taste. I'm going to be the only person that gains twenty pounds on COVID because I keep trying to satiate this craving that I have, and I can't taste anything, so I just keep looking for other things to keep trying to eat. Um, I totally so get ho- that. Hopefully, for my and waistline, for all, my for all twelve of you that care, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I didn't catch anything, so. Yeah, yeah well, we would have been whining about it like Bob was if you had gotten it, so. <laughs> Zach uh, somehow rode in a car with me for uh, for nine hours uh, when I had COVID and didn't get it. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm triple vaxxed. I've had it before, and here we go again, but it could be worse. Um, as far as, uh, so I actually talked to Liz yesterday, coincidentally. Nice. Um, she's doing well. She's out of the country on vacation right now. Um, so probably won't be any catch up anytime soon. Um, the, my understanding is that the ruling here was not unexpected. Um, so, so it was essentially like the, the appeals court, if I understand it correctly, the appeals court made a ruling and denied the motion. And then the attorney said, well, can you look at that again? And they said, and, and basically this was them saying, now we're not looking at it again. Um, what happens next is habeas, which is where we wanted to be. Remember Kathleen Zellner got in this case. Got involved in this case way back. Like, so she's been working on habeas for a couple of years now. Um, but you can't file habeas until after you've exhausted your appeals. So this was a like we had to get to this point before we can come up with habeas, which is where new evidence can be presented of actual innocence. So um it's not a terrible thing. I didn't talk to Liz about the case yesterday. We were just catching up. Um, but she seems to be in a very good place and and I know that this ruling wasn't unexpected. Okay, great. Well, let's dive into some pinion pines, shall we, everybody? There's just a lot going on in the truth and justice world. It's kind of fun on these follow-ups where we have this many things to touch base on. I think it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. Zach, what were you going to say? Oh, can I start? Can I start, please? Yeah, Ooh. absolutely. Who in the hell is Greg? <laughs> yes, <Right>. good question. <laughs> great I, question. Yeah, there were a lot of people asked who Greg is. I don't know. So in this episode, remember last week... We left early Wednesday morning. So this was like, and I had a different plan for the episode that fell apart on me because uh, I was, again, the plan was to play the audio of Christian's interview. And I'm like, I don't have the audio. What I have is not, it's unusable. Nothing's working. So it was like literally in an hour's time, I was like, I need to find some other audio that's relevant in some way that I can play. And I put it out and there it was. Um, and there's just all we have so far is this little mention of Greg, the. What was it? Well, he was like the. She said, he said he was like the thirty-year-old, thirty-year-old guy who flies off the handle. Yeah, and and, and made a his temper MySpace post or something comment. Right. Um. So I'm with you. We need to know more about Greg. I don't know anything else about Greg. That that was just immediately when as soon as I heard that they're like, oh, it was some guy named Greg that she used to date that flies off the handle. I'm like, okay, hold on, let's put a pin in that guy because we need to figure something yeah. out about him. And I've. And I've got to get my head on straight too. I mean, because this guy, I'm doing okay now. Wednesday, um, I'm still struggling a little bit, but but like Monday, I was out for the count with the COVID. I was like, kept trying to work and just kept laying back down because I couldn't think. Yesterday was a real struggle as well when I put together the 
pretty much took everything I had to put out the um, the West Memphis three update on Tuesday. Uh, so I haven't even looked into some of this this stuff yet because I just haven't been able to get my brain engaged into it. Fair but enough. We're, we we gonna get to Greg. Okay, great. great. <laughs> well, shout out, shout out to Anthony and Kat who had the the same uh, pressing question. I know you said a lot of people did, but we had thrown in Anthony and Kat specifically asking about Greg on behalf of all of us. Um, Teresa says, "Is there a transcript of the first interview that was cut off, the one that uh, we couldn't hear the rest of? Could we find it somewhere so we could know the rest of the exchange, even if we don't have the audio?" So here's the thing. Um, I don't know. If there, I haven't found a transcript. So, so we only have transcripts of stuff that was entered into evidence at trial. And as we, I've mentioned, the judge in this case wouldn't allow any third-party evidence to come in. Therefore, none of this came in. Um, so I don't think there's any transcripts of it. There is a report that goes with it that explains a little bit more. But I have better news than that. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My plan for this week was to button up some loose ends. So I wanted to go over that report. I wanted to um, go through like the transcripts of Bodmer's drive test and his testimony about that and then get into Christian's interview because I do have the transcripts of Christian's interview. Um, that's gonna, that, the, all that requires a lot of reading and writing and stuff that, that um, as I mentioned with the COVID, I'm struggling with on top of the voice issues that I'm having. Um, but as a consolation prize, I found the video of Javier's interview, of of that interview that got cut off after 13 minutes, of which I was able to rip the audio out of. That interview is two hours long. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, um, and there is a pretty large gap in there. So there's so like they leave the room to do something, come back, which you know cuts it down. But it's pretty long. And so I think what I'm going to do this week um, that'll save my my brain and my voice while I'm recovering is go ahead and play his full second interview. The whole I think it ends up being almost an hour and a half um, of audio. Now again, you've already heard the first 12 minutes, so but I'm not going to cut that out. So if you want to skip ahead 12 minutes, you can. Um, but I'm going to play that full interview of Javier's. And again, it's not that we're shifting focus to Javier, but it's already been kind of put out there. And and I have it now, so I'm constantly playing this juggling game of what next. That seems like a great opportunity for this to be what next, which will give me another few days to recover. That's great. Um, so that's what's coming Sunday. So you don't. So I don't have a transcript for you, but I can do you one better. You've got the whole damn interview. Uh, that you'll be able to hear this weekend. And technically, that's wrapping up one loose end because all of us were wondering what happened for the rest of that interview. So it really is yeah. very nice to know it's not going to be dangling and I, and out there for very long. And I haven't even listened to it yet, oh, the okay. whole thing. Um, right. So I don't even know Hot um, off the maybe press. Greg comes up. Yeah. But yeah we, it was frustrating because we got cut off right as he starts going through his very specific timeline. It's like, yeah, and then we did this. And then at this time, we did boop, And it was yeah. just cut off. So we get the rest of that. So I got a quick question for you. You know, it's very, the officer makes it 
very apparent that he wants Javier to take a polygraph. I mean, through both interviews, he wants Javier to take... Did Javier ever take a polygraph? Do we know? No, right? No. Nobody did. Um, and, and that officer, you're going to hear more interviews because, you know, we're going to probably through these next few weeks, I'm going to probably play a lot of it. I want you guys to hear these people. So um, I've got interviews from um, the in 2007 when both uh, Christian... And Robert were interviewed again um, in their hammering them them about polygraphs, um, and it's this cop is you know like one of them like in Robert's interview he's like well I gotta like I have a lawyer because you guys won't leave me alone and so I need to ask I'm not going to take a polygraph until my lawyer tells me it's okay and the cop's like well I can tell you that your lawyer is going to tell you not to take one uh, but you know why they do that it's because he doesn't want to know if you're innocent. <laughs> So, it, like, yeah, yeah Listen, they, we're getting yeah, a lot of comments from people in the chat and in the questions that are prepared about people commenting on the behavior of the police. And you said, of course, at the beginning of the episode, I really want you to pay attention to how the police conduct their business, to how they treat Javier, right. to what their approach is. I'm sure there are many of us like me who are thinking gosh, I wish that you were focusing on um, investigating and doing police work instead of just going back and asking people to take polygraphs over and over again. But okay. I don't know what, I don't know what this dude's deal is with the polygraph. Some cops like, you, I've, some cops love them. Some cops are like, let, I'll let the polygraph do all my work for me. <laughs> and then that's what it feels like, we'll have our it's, answer. It's, yeah. It's like, I don't know how to investigate this. So I'm going to use my magic machine to tell me who did it. Because I mean, he... I mean, you listen to it, and that was one of the reasons I went ahead and played that whole. Because I almost cut off some of the, you know, cut the, that episode this weekend off at thirty minutes because it's the same bullshit. But it's like I want you to hear how. No, it's like, good. I'm glad you did. He continues on and on and on yeah. and on, and he knows that Javier's dad is a DA investigator. That's why he's trying to get him to take it. And you know, let's just do it. You don't need to talk to your dad. What do you want to do? You know, it's like no, like. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That, that, that he's so hung up on this machine's going to do my job for me is what it feels like. Absolutely. And Joshua in the chat says, you know, he also just felt like he couldn't stand the whole scenario. And uh, he says, can you remind us of how old Javier was? He was like 18, right? He was 18, 18 yeah. with all of this. Um, yep. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Linwood says, the thing I kept wondering was this kid's father is an investigator, but he's fine with his son being interrogated twice with no lawyer. Yeah, I don't think he is. So that, that's why, if you notice, he's at work. When they interview him. Um, so I think that they they know his dad's an investigator. And so they're trying to catch him at work, trying to catch him off guard where he can't call his dad. Keep in mind, I mean, I don't know who was involved in it, but, but what I know is that they had his phone records that pretty clear, at least on the surface, that's not to say there couldn't be something else going on there. On the surface, they know that he was down in the valley using his phone at the time of the murders. And that's how they were treating him. Yeah. So wait, wait, do you hear how they start treating Robert and Christian? Can you remind yeah. me really quick who Javier's mother is? Like what? What she yeah, bon- is? Bo- Bonnie Garcia was a state assemblywoman. Okay, because I know they said several times in the interview that that was the phone went to her campaign manager, and I, for some reason I couldn't remember what what she did. 
Yeah, did you get that Javier was like a little evasive? And I wonder what that is. But he's like, oh, no, that's it's our house line, but it's our camp. I mean, well, can he I call might that have been, line? Yeah, I, I don't know. Listen, again, I, I could be totally wrong and we all don't know. And there's so much we don't know yet. I say that every single follow up. But I really felt for this kid. I mean, I felt yeah. like, again, this is a kid who wants to stay on the good side of the cops, but also wants to honor his dad and I'm sure his mom and everyone who's like, um, don't let them bully you, you know, yeah. like take care. We need you need to be protected. You need to take care of yourself. And I just could put myself in that situation so easily. Like the idea of being like, I know this is going to look bad, but I broke my phone. And I know there's a question from uh, Sarah in here about that. Uh, my phone broke and the, co- the number you're calling, I have nothing to do with because it's my mom's phone. And I'm realizing that as I'm saying this, you're probably building a case against me because all of these things look bad right now. Like it just mm-hmm. was so stressful. Speaking of getting anxious and stressful, listening to stuff um, that was really anxiety inducing because it was extremely easy to imagine being in that situation and really feeling exactly what the cops wanted him to feel, which was like guilty yeah. and trapped. Right. And, and, and they don't stop. There, there's still yet another interview where they again are pushing the polygraph where he officially says, no, I'm not taking the polygraph polygraph. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Teresa says, Javi says his work schedule is Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 9 to 4. Yet on Sunday morning, he's awakened at noon by a call from his mom. He rushes to get to Becky's, but it's almost noon on Monday before he makes his way there. Any thoughts on consistency and schedule or how that might work? Yeah. I, his What he said his schedule was and, what, and where he said he was didn't seem to jive to me. Um, but I just don't. Look, it's 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 no different to me than uh, than somebody saying, "Yeah," I, I, or that you know, than Robert saying, "Yeah, I saw her on Saturday. I hadn't talked to her in months." And then we find out, well, actually, they talked, you know, fifteen times or whatever the couple days before that. Like, there's just they're like details I don't expect people to really hammer down or get right or or to say a time. Like, oh, I thought it was six thirty. It was six. It's the same thing. So, it's a very stressful situation. Especially if you're not involved with something, you don't like you. You trick yourself in your mind into thinking you know what they think is important, and then you right. tend to focus on that, and stuff gets left aside. And then people, you know, people always say like, "Oh, you're just trying to explain stuff." Like, no, I've just seen it. I've seen it hundreds of times in in interviews like this. You know where you know, you know. So he's he's given him this information. There's, I guarantee you, there's something in there he left out. The reason why he wasn't working the Sunday or whatever it was. I didn't find it suspicious at all. Maybe it proves me. We note it, but it's, you know, he's in a very stressful situation. He's trying to, he's probably clued into, they think this is important and I need to make sure I explain this. And then other stuff just gets just left to the wayside a little bit. So there's, there seem to be some inconsistencies there, but it's nothing. I didn't see anything there with an, any utility that made me uncomfortable with those inconsistencies. Got it. Uh, but oh, that being said, we haven't, we haven't heard. This interview where he's going to break down actual details and points of timeline with Becky. So I'm sure. anxious to hear all that. Yeah. Jackie just mentioned, um, did I hear that when Becky sleeps at Javi's house, they sleep in the same bed together? Um, I think he did say that. He said, we woke up and she was right next to me. Which I'll just say, uh, yeah. as a girl who had a ton of guy friends in high school, I didn't I didn't think that was a big deal. And I'm not saying Jackie said that, it, you know, thought that it was, but. We were, we, we listen, we were all just like sleeping in the same bed. Like, you know, there wasn't yeah. necessarily stuff going on. Like there, Zach but. and I were in West Memphis. That's right. Yep. In your Romeo and Juliet suite. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> right. No, I didn't think, I, I found it interesting the way he very, 
strongly like pronounced that. Like she was right there in bed next to me. It's just the way he said it. Just I don't know what that means. It was just I hear you on kinda, that. Yeah, it just kind of caught my attention. But no, them like crashing in the same bed doesn't. You know, it d- didn't seem odd to me at all for a couple of teenagers. Yeah. Uh, Teresa also says, uh, do we have Tamisha's last name, the server from Denny's, um, noting that Becky and Javi supposedly go to her house at 430 in the morning after her shift ends on the Saturday into Sunday? No, um, but that's somebody else that we need. That was a new name for me to hear that they stopped somewhere, you know, at 430 in the morning. And and then didn't seem like my brain's not quite functioning right now, but didn't it kind of seem like he was dancing around the reason why they were there? Like, yeah. like he was like, I don't know what they she were talking about. She wanted to or... go to Tamisha's or something. So, yeah. so I caught that too, that they were dancing around the idea. And I, I mean, not to put anything out there because it's my opinion, but, you know, I just assume like they got off work. We're, let's go get high. You know, let's go smoke some weed. Right. Then we'll go crash. That's, that's, that's yeah. kind of the hunch that, would make that sense. I had to. Yeah. Um, but it gives a little bit of insight into her work schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, we get from him where he said that, you know, she got off work at four. Um, at four o'clock, and then I think he even said, "What did he say?" Like nine. I don't know. If, I don't know if he said when she started. Um, but I, and I don't know if if wait staff typically works uh, eight hour shifts, or if it could be six or whatever. Because I was like, "Oh well, if she started. If she got off at four thirty. Then that would mean she started at eight thirty or eight with a break in there. I don't know." Hmm. Uh, and then we just have our questions about Greg that we already sort of covered, and then Sarah, we touched on this a little bit. Sarah does say, were the police treating all of Becky's friends with this level of aggression or only a select few? Uh, seemed like it was, it seemed like it was Javier, Jacob, Robert, and Christian, at least at the beginning. And they were really leaning into Jacob. I mean, we've talked a little bit about before that from people that have seen the video of Becky's dad, like doing a press conference, you know, cause they found Javier's dad's ring that was given to him by his mom in Becky's car, um, which is a weird thing, you know, and I have no idea what that means, but, you know, he was like holding up the ring. And was, so I think Ron was kind of pointing him towards Javier, maybe leaning on him a little bit. Mm. <coughs> uh, but, but yeah, you heard how rough they were with Javier. Um, they're equally shitty to Robert and Christian. Um, and we also have a, a good long interview with Jacob too, that we're going to be hearing, um, sometime soon. So probably, I, th- I, I said, I think for the next couple of weeks, we'll probably, I'll probably play a lot of these interviews. I'll have to talk through Christians cause I don't have the audio, but the rest of them, I want you guys to kind of hear what everybody was saying that are connected to this as we start to move along. Okay. Um, I'm just going to quickly, I know we're going to wrap up. I'm almost excited that we've kept it to about an hour because we've been um, with, there's been so much to discuss in previous follow-ups. We've been going pretty long, but uh, I do want to throw out a couple of quickies from the chat. Caroline says, who else do we have taped interviews with that we'll get to hear in the future? I know you've kind of touched on different ones here and there, but is there like, can you think in your mind, in your COVID mind right now, like here's the list of taped interviews I know we have. Yeah, like I said, we we have um, we have uh, another one from Robert. Have one from Chris. Have two from Chris, but one of them is almost unlistenable, and it's mostly them asking him to take a polygraph. Um, but it's really hard to hear. Uh, we have Jacob, the one from Javier, going to hear. Have the interview with Ron with Ron Friedley, but it's the interview where he was taking his polygraph tests, and so I need to check. Um. 
I need to check and see if that's okay for me to play just just legal. So like polygraphs are like weirdly protected. The results of polygraphs are protected. Um, so I need to check and see if that's something I can play. It's just like a normal interview. But the fact that he's hooked up to polygraph, I just I've got to check with some legal issues on that one. Um, and and then there's more. There's a bunch more people like that are, you know, that are not directly connected along the way that that get interviewed that we'll we'll hear as we move along. So fascinated why they decided to talk to certain people and then just eschewed talking to other people that you would right. have imagined them to interview. But um, and then May, uh, I just want to say, hey, real quick, I know I, I see your question about the route from Becky's into Cathedral City um, and the fire roads. Uh, you, you're bringing up the idea of the person being on foot and getting into a vehicle in that short of a period of time. I think we did cover that on a previous follow up, um, just like how much more difficult it would be to do it within a very short time frame if you also have to get to somewhere on foot before you can even get into the car. Yeah, it's impossible. I mean, the, the so when Bodmer did his test, he managed to make it in 38 minutes when we have a window of opportunity of 37 minutes. But in order for that to work, that's light the fire immediately in a car and go. If you add in the, the that they, you know, ran for two minutes down the road to get into a car, you've already, now you've, you were already outside the window. Now you're well outside the window. Right. Um, and, and somebody else had put up, I just briefly saw it on the fan page, uh, but a screenshot of like a Google map route, but somebody had briefly brought up this, this Google map route um, from the crime scene to the furthest area where you could connect to tower 88 and it routed it and said it would be 38 minutes. Well, well first of all, that route again assumes you're driving 55 miles an hour in Pinion Pines, which is impossible. Like, like it's the, the the routes when I've routed places many while I was up there. Anytime I did a route like from anywhere to the crime scene, it was off by 10, 15 minutes because of the road conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, just even assuming that, where you know my route showed, I think 52 minutes. Their show or 40, 48 minutes or whatever it was, my route showed. Um, the spot they picked was in the maps that we had posted on the website. There's like a little bitty tiny blurb where Tower 88 connects like like it's there's no connection. And then you go like three miles and then there's a little blurb where it could. So they 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 routed to where if you went to that spot, that's not where Bodmer drove to. And the reason is because that's not on the way anywhere. Like to get it, it would be a weird route to take anywhere from the crime scene to get to Christian's house or to Robert's house or anywhere like that, or the gas station. Um, and it's such a tiny little spot where you might get service. I don't think if you're driving even the, the whatever, the 45 seconds that they would have driven right past it, you know, mm. too quickly before they could have even, even done that. But, um, but even with that still 38 minutes, still too long. Yeah. Um, well, I think that does it. Unless anybody got anything that they absolutely want to get added in. Um, obviously, still a lot of discussion in the chat, but we'll come back to stuff as we can. And um, anything else you want to add? I will say really quickly, going back very quickly to West Memphis 3, um, if the transcript becomes available the for the judge's diatribe, etc., for everybody who yeah. wasn't in the courtroom, including you, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of eager ears and eyes who would love to take a look at just what went down. Yes. So as soon as that transcript's available and I have my hands on it, um, I will put it out for everyone. I'll put it up on the website 
and I'll probably do another something either bonus or we'll talk about it on the follow up. Great. Um, sorry, and I realize I, I feel like in the last ten minutes my brain has left the building. Like I was just like <laughs> watching your lips move, and I'm like, what is she saying? Like I don't know what. Well, going I got news on. for you. You just talked a lot in the last ten minutes, so good luck hearing about Damn. that later when you <laughs> when you hear it after the fact. <laughs> All right. So we're going to we're going to end this right here. Thanks, everybody, for all of your support. And uh, yeah, so then uh, Sunday's episode, um, pack a lunch, save your lawn mowing or whatever you're going to do on Sunday, because I think it's well, it'll be well over an hour. The full interview with uh, Javier that you got to hear 13 minutes of this week. And then uh, next week, we'll get right back after it. Thanks, everybody. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. For all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I guess I could have said bye, but you still can. Oh, wait, I'm the idiot. (laughs) God damn it. I suck. I mean, do you know how the internet works? Oh, that was a good, good timing.
Good timing. Yep. I am quite classy. Classy is a word that could always be used to describe me. Good timing. <laughs> I love a blooper. I always love a blooper. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're pretty good. Bloops. Bloops. Maybe I'll bloop today. I think you're blooping right now. I'm blooping. Today's word is bloop. Just a bloop. Just a little bloop. Yes, bifurcation. Bifurcation. Oh. Bifurcation. That was a winner. Mm-hmm. Bloop. 